This podcast was produced by Big Night Media, a proud partner of Big Night Entertainment. Hey, it's Joe Mazzi. Welcome to another edition of Boston Common, a unique, in-depth look at notable Bostonians, their passions, roadmap to success, and what makes them uncommonly Boston. Please take a moment to like, rate, comment, subscribe, share, tell a friend, do whatever you can, please. Uh, today, welcoming someone that I've been a huge fan of, listening to on the radio, uh, a teacher, voiceover talent, and so much more. We'll get into all of it. Please welcome good guy, Ty Irwin. Ty, good morning. Well, hello, Joe. How <laughs> you been? You know, I've been well, thank you. And I uh, appreciate you saying that you have been a longtime fan because I think uh, sometimes in Boston radio circles, those of us who were in the business and, and worked on these radio stations, um, the listeners may have thought that we were rivals, but we were only rivals on the air. We all had uh, so many friendships. It was f- so funny. I heard Lady Lady D yesterday yes. shopping in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire because she's on XLO on weekends. And I'm like, Lady D, yeah, you know? It sounds so perfect. I know. So let's first start with that. Let's. When it comes to mind, when I think of Ty and think of you, I think of my guy Ty hosting mornings at the legendary FNX. What was that experience like there? What are some of your fondest memories there? Well, it's only legendary because it's gone. Baby, <laughs> to be honest. I Good mean, point. I never thought what rock listener would ever think they would wake up one day, BCN, AAF, and FNX would all be gone. What happened? What happened? I don't know. Right? I wish I knew. Well, corporate radio happened. Yeah. And corporate radio, for those who don't know, was uh, sort of launched by the Telecommunications Act of 1996 that basically said a handful of people are going to run all the stations and they're going to run many of them right into the ground. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so you know, the debt structure and the corporate sort of culture just for many of us um, destroyed the creativity in radio. And then it actually destroyed the business. It, it just it actually eliminated stations. They, they, they're not there anymore. Um, and it's just wild to think about. FNX was a wonderful, um, incredibly uh, dysfunctional family. <laughs> Perfect it description. Really, it was really wonderful. You know, um, it was located in Central Square, Lynn. And, uh, you know, you got out of the car or you just decided when you looked around that you weren't going to get out of the car <laughs> when you showed up for an air shift <laughs> because there were just so many people in such sketchy circumstances roaming the street. And, you know, of course, I started on the overnight show. Great idea, Ty. Great idea. <laughs> Show up in Central Square at midnight in 1985. What could go wrong? But then, so then you moved really to funny. yeah. You then you moved to mornings, right? I did, and I survived a whole bunch of sort of um, trying to think of the correct word. Skullduggery, I think, is the right word. There was all kinds of shifting sands in FNX during those days, and. I thought if somebody had brought me in, because I tried to work at the station for a solid year, Joe. Oh, I didn't I actually, know that. I lobbied them for one year. Wow. And I I 
basically wore the pup, the PD down to uh, so that she just said, "All right, I'll hire you." God, stop, stop. calling. And um, I mean, that's really true. Oh wow! Uh, after one year, I decided that I had to move to Boston. And uh, my sister was at BC, and she was like, "You're better than all these jocks on here. You could work there." So. I thought to myself, you know, part of this is just my sister trying to be nice to her older brother. And then I realized she's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I became the morning show host in 87. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was the dream come true. It was, it was in my opinion, this is going to sound ridiculous to some people, but in my opinion, I had then sort of done it. I, I had made it. Yeah, totally. And it's something to be said for uh, the persistent that you have that lacks not only just in radio, but really any business opportunity that you stick with it, you pursue it to your fullest extent until you succeed and it, at all costs. Well, you have to be stupid, first of all. <laughs> no, I think, you know, Joe, you've been around enough entertainers and you've seen enough huge names. I mean, the talent you worked with at Kiss. I mean, I just miss Sonny Joe White so much because yeah. he was the man. And uh, I, I'm personal friends and fans with all the other people, like we said earlier. And, and you know, there's no rivalries now. We're all just um, fans of one another. But Sonny Joe White is the greatest program director in the history of Boston radio. He just is. And he he can't be bested because he had this combination of things now, I wanted to be Sonny Joe White. Okay? <laughs> I didn't want to be like Sonny Joe White. I wanted to be this person who could be successful, but really into music. Right. I wanted to be able to have an office or a place to go or a microphone or a show I could call my own. But I also wanted to be out of my mind and creative. And so the combination of things, when I first met him, I met him under bad circumstances. Uh Uh-oh. I met him at the Boston Music Awards at the Wang Center. Mm -hmm. I was one of the hosts of the first one. And backstage, he was just so annoyed because the audience had booed him when he went up to present an award. (laughs) And he couldn't figure it out because it's like Johnny Carson being booed. How could that happen, right? (laughs) Right. He was booed by the local musicians who resented the fact that Kiss 108 was a big pop station and you had to have a million seller before they would play you. And Cher was Sonny Joe White's friend and not <laughs> the local bar band at the Rat. Yeah. Right, Del Fuegos or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And so those local musicians were like, boo, what are you doing here? And he accused FNX of like organizing this, this, you know, mini demonstration in the middle of an award show i'm like sonny it's not it oh man that's funny what a great story that is oh my god it's not it i said it's not it it's a it's a different thing it's the local music cults they got their own little thing and you know they're very 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 self-contained as a bubble yeah. that local music thing yeah. and i tried to live in it and out of it you know um sometimes successfully and sometimes not successfully you know it, it, it wasn't always easy. Well, but. I think some of those early days at FNX, and especially those bands that were just kind of breaking and before they became superstars, really kind of cut their teeth with FNX. You know, the Lemonheads come to mind and 
back in the eighties, the cure probably to a degree. Um, I got to imagine that there is some of those bands that kind of stick in your uh, memory archive of like, wow, that was a really cool moment when I met so-and-so. Yeah. The, the, the cool thing about it was, I mean, I got jaded. I can tell you that. And I'm really? sure you were jaded at one point, right, Joe? Well, a little bit. Yeah. At some point, somebody walked by you and kissed one away and you're like, oh, him. And the guy was you know, a superstar, <laughs> but it's like his show is so last year, you know, some TV star, a movie star is like, um, I accumulated over the years a really nice sort of catalog. And sometimes I've written it down. Um, I've made lists of like a hundred great acts, a hundred great Broadway shows or a hundred great comedians, a um, uh, hundred great interviews, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. But the, the fun thing about the passage of time, Joe, is that all of a sudden out of nowhere, my kids and my nieces and nephews come out of the woodwork and go, Wow, you're into Depeche Mode? And I'm like, <laughs> I saw Depeche Mode 40 years ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> I met so many of these bands. I, in fact, I had to sort of apologize to my daughter one time. Um, you know how kids are. They, uh, they ask every once in a while for a favor, and you try to hook them up if you can. I know. I've seen on Facebook. You hook up your kids. Absolutely. Proud, we're both proud fathers. <laughs> yes, that yes. And it, it jazzes you when you can do something nice. That, that you know they like. Yeah. So my daughter goes, I really want to see No Doubt. And I'm thinking, no, I was standing next to No Doubt. They're not that great. <laughs> it's like, no, I had no idea that No Doubt was going to break that big. But I was standing right next to them, and I just walked by them. I didn't ask for an autograph or pose with Gwen Stefani because that would seem so uncool at that moment, you know? That's a great, great point. You don't want to be the uncool kid in the room. Right. And so, but also you don't know. And, and sometimes it's kind of funny. They'll go, Oh, here's an autograph CD. I remember that. Uh, some one band gave me an autograph CD. And I'm like, does anybody want this? <laughs> oh, you jaded jerk. This is a band. Come on. They, they think there's something and maybe they will become something, you know, you can't love everything, but I mean, years later I, I get my daughter into see no doubt at great woods or the, the artist formerly known as great woods, yeah. whatever it's called this week. And, uh, Janelle Monet is opening. Oh, my God. She's great. So I say to her, I go to my daughter, I go, look, here's the thing. I'm going to give you a piece of advice, and I want you to always remember it. Always, always, always show up on time and catch the opening act. Right. Because you don't know. For every stinker, for every 10 stinkers, there's going to be one that's going to knock you and you're going to be completely flattened by it. And then when this, when the headliner comes on, maybe it's even better. But sometimes you're like, at the end of the night, I am never going to forget this night because I saw blah. Yes, I, that exactly happened to me. I went uh, when Alanis Morissette was playing the uh, Xfinity Center, Great Woods, whatever it's called now. Uh, the opening act, Radiohead. And I had no idea who they were. Then like 10 months later, <laughs> blow up their huge world right it's great that is a great moment in music time and in, in people's lives uh but ty we're at our first segment here and it's kind of like a get to know ty segment i'm just going to hit okay. you with some this or that type of questions you let me know what's your favorite okay netflix hulu netflix seinfeld the office seinfeld cats or dogs cats favorite ice cream uh carvel smartest person you know Oh, boy, that's a really, really tough one. The smartest person I know. 
Oh boy, I have to go to somebody who's deceased, unfortunately. That's fine. The smartest person I ever met was Gene Burns, the radio host oh, on WRKO. Yeah, he was. Wow. Yeah, that's a great one. You know, he's a mentor of mine for a few years, and I wish I could have said that we got closer than we did, but when he went out to San Francisco, I only saw him one time after that, and uh, we had dinner at the at that cliff house. That place is right on the ocean Yep. in uh, Frisco, and um, you know, he was such a foodie, but he just, he had such a great mind, and I... I love the fact that I could make him laugh, you know, just by making a cheesy remark or coming up with something. So we had this really cool sort of unlikely friendship. You know, I'm on FNX and he's on RKO. He's like, the, <laughs> you know, he's like the most buttoned up guy in the world. And I'm the least buttoned up guy in the world. And I would show up at his house and I just, I don't know what the hell people thought, but it was an hysterical odd couple. I love but that. He's the smartest person I've ever known. All right, a couple more here. Uh, favorite movie? Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> These are easy oh. questions, Ty. That's not an easy question. It's stupid. It's crazy. I love about a zillion photos. Films, my God, I can't even. Uh, okay, I'll come up with one that's insane, right? Give it uh, a minute. Um, I'll come up with one that's fun. Um, I made a monster. Ooh, I don't think I know that one. No one knows it. It was made for about $3 by American International. It's one of the worst movies ever made. Worse than Planet Nine from Outer Space? Yes, in fact, it is worse than Planet Nine. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. The the acting is even worse. Impossible. Really bad. I just saw it last week. Not my favorite movie. Okay. Uh, First concert. Alice Cooper. Uh, Food You Won't Eat. Oh, boy. That's a... Oh, man. Uh... I guess I won't eat insects. Okay, that's Covered, fair. Covered insects. Yep. Who plays Ty in the movie? You know, this this is a weird moment in time that you'll be able to grasp because of our collective sort of generation. But do you remember Timothy Hutton? Oh, of course. Okay, when the movie Ordinary People came out, mm. I don't know why, but we had the same haircut, and. I'm not kidding. I was online at supermarkets and stuff, and his picture was on magazines and newspapers, and people were looking at me like, "Is that?" You know, it was really weird, and I, it was it was the only time ever somebody famous I actually looked at from different angles, and I'm like, "That guy kind of looks like me. He doesn't really look like me, but he kind of looks like me," and I could see people doing a double take. It was weird. So I'm going to say him. Timothy, got it. And uh, let's do this one. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, invisibility. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for indulging me in that. And now a word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey, flowers are blooming and spring is in the air. Grass is growing and it's time to chop those weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim your hole safely and efficiently. I'm talking about ball trimmers. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer just for our listeners, just for you. Use the code BIGNIGHT to get 20% off plus plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the over 2 million men who have trusted Manscaped. They're here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring cleaning. So make sure you use that promo code BIGNIGHT and get 20% off plus free shipping. Go to manscaped.com 
right now, please. Uh, so let's go way back. Let's go back to your uh, days in, in college. You went to Syracuse. Amazing school, by the way. Oh, Joe. I do my research. You're uh, lacrosse fan? Because that's the only sport we're good at. No, basketball. No, basketball is uh, it's too it's too inconsistent over the years. <laughs> They're amazing. Then they can't hit a foul shot to save their lives. <laughs> I mean, it's just, oh, oh God, the, the heartbreak. You know, my dad will call me. This is no this is no lie. My dad will still call me to this day. And I graduated 40 years ago. OK, yep. he will call me and say, what the hell was that all about? I go, what are you talking about? And he's like, you weren't watching the game. I'm like. No, what are you talking about? It's like Sunday afternoon at five, and the Syracuse basketball team just went down uh, again, or the football team lost by 30 points. And so I just lied, my dad. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had it on. I just stepped away from the TV for a minute. <laughs> but it is a great media school as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, there, I would agree with you. And I would say that having Sean McDonough on my radio station staff wasn't a bad thing as sports guy. Mm -hmm. So what... Uh, so looking back when you're, it's, it's hard to, to do now, obviously, you're, you're graduated 40 years ago, but looking back, did you ever think in, in Syracuse University, hey, it would be really cool if I got to host my own morning show or where your life is now, like going back and looking that and feeling those feels, um, what do you think? I knew I would do it. That's awesome. I knew I would do it because... Um, getting into that program and then uh, eventually becoming the um, program director, the people around me, Patty DeSalvo was the music director and she was uh, uh, just a ball of fire. She introduced you two at their first Central New York appearance on stage and interviewed Bono. Uh, John Kelly was uh, the king of news and he actually worked with me at FNX. He worked at KISS 108. Um, he worked at RKO. He worked at a whole bunch of other radio stations. The bar was set so high at Syracuse. Um, I knew Sean McDonough when he had hair. I was not for a long time. <laughs> That's funny. perfect. That is good. It's funny to drop his name, but seriously, I, I will say this. In our group, uh, everyone just assumed that they would get into commercial radio or non-commercial if they chose and succeed. Everyone just assumed that they would. That's and so I'm cool. not kidding. Nobody was in it for a gag or a... Uh, it would be a fun after school activity or, you know, just something to do. Everyone was hardcore. We knew that Dick Clark, you know, had gone to Syracuse. We knew that. We knew that Ted Koppel and Marv Albert and the list goes on it's and on. Huge. Yeah. So it was sports first, news second and music third. That was really the pecking order. The sports people were the best. They knew their stuff the most and they were the most determined and connected. Then came the news and then came music. And I can tell you that most of the people that, like I said, some got into television, but most got into media in some way. Yeah. And is there a person from that past at, at Syracuse that kind of influenced you early in your career that you admired? Uh, uh, in particular, I really set my own course because I, 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 had, I was definitely intimidated. It was kind of fun. I went during the summer before I got to school and I saw this guy named Rick Weinstein. And I thought, I will never, ever be as cool as Rick Weinstein, <laughs> no matter what I do. That guy is so cool. And he's got a real mustache. I could never grow a real mustache. But we started talking about old R&B records and he immediately knew that I was not just somebody who enjoyed music. 
I was a nut, a fanatic, and I knew my 60s R&B back and forth. <laughs> and so we had a mutual respect thing. And um, like I said, I knew I could never be as cool as him, but I did graduate as the program director. And I did morning drive five days a week, and I did a Saturday night show as well. And I DJed at a pub around the corner on Thursday nights. Sweet. So. Every once in a while, I went to class too. Yeah, so you're dedicated to your craft, and that's that's a definitely a key factor into your success. Now uh, we're at a second segment here. Uh, it's a pet peeve segment, Ty. So what are some of Ty's biggest pet pet peeves? And if you need me to hit you with a few to get your mind racing here, I'll I'll give you some of mine. Oh, give me some of yours, Joe. I My- can't wait. <laughs> Mine are pretty pretty basic. You know, people that drive slow in the left-hand lane drives me nuts. People that uh, don't return their shopping cart, like, it's how hard is that to do? Just return it. Uh, not picking up after yourself, that drives me crazy, too. <laughs> you become your mom. Right. You know? totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. And these socks don't match either. <laughs> Where do they go? I don't know. <laughs> That's right. No, I don't... Um, I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. I got to be honest. I mean, I I've it. had a um, a life changing perspective, uh, as it were, changing uh, careers. And uh, I will say that uh, I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. I just don't. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I definitely want to dip into that as well. I mean, you had some awesome tours of duty at, at, at some of the call letters you dropped there. RKO, ZLX, ROR, TKK. Some are still here. Some are not. but yeah. uh, And some are seeing resurgence in the ratings, and it's fantastic to see. But let's talk about currently what you're doing because I can imagine the stuff that you're doing right now is seriously rewarding and fulfilling. For, on a personal note. Uh, it is. But th- again, I think the stakes are very high now when it comes to the stuff that I do. Um, I work at Pine Street Inn and it is everything that you see in that logo, mm. which I which I would put up with the great logos in town. I put up uh, the Sox and the Patriots and the Celtics and the Bruins and I put the Pine Street Inn right next to it because Zidane Chara, God bless him. I miss him. When he uh, would come by every Thanksgiving, he would bring food and then he would come into the shelter and he would serve. And this is a guy that wasn't even born in the United States, but he gets Thanksgiving better than the rest of us. I mean, wow. Mm. Right. Mm. Here's a guy that could be doing anything on Thanksgiving and he chooses to come to a shelter and he just, you know, people get it. This city gets it. There's a brotherhood that goes on. And um, over 50 years, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants like Father Frank Kelly, whom I admire so much. Um, he's actually been working with us for the entire run of Pine Street in Joe. Wow. That is fantastic. It's unreal. Mm. So I do my part, I hope. Well, it feels like, I mean, and we didn't even touch upon the um, the teaching portion of, of your life, too. I mean, you've given back to so many college students at Mount Ida and, and um, the New England Institute of Art. So you also have kind of, a, you have the passion for this, the Pine Street Inn, but you also have a history of teaching these young professionals trying to break into the business. Well, what I didn't realize was radio is just the conduit. I didn't, I couldn't see it this way when I was growing up. Uh, because it was just a little sound underneath my pillow and and the music of the Supremes and the Beatles and the Four Tops and the Rolling Stones. But I didn't realize that it was just sort of the device 
for connection, person to person, art form to listener. And um, now we have a million other forms of, of that. And that's wonderful. Um, and teaching and mentoring is just another part of that. It's they're all they're all connected in some way. So if I'm anything, I'm a connector. I tried to do that in radio. I wanted to turn people on to new music and ideas, maybe give them a laugh, show them a, a different side of things, maybe try to create some empathy uh, and connection on whatever level it was. Um, it could have been, as we said before, a new movie or a politician who had a message for the, you know, the people that they were supposed to be serving. Um, they're all connected. It, it's all, it's all connected. And it's kind of a, it's a neat way to look at it. And I finally found it after all these years. That's so cool. And one of the connections that you made going back to your FNX days that I, I really, from an entertainment standpoint, really enjoyed is the connection you made with these comedians. You also did it at RKO, if I recall, you would have this and I'm not sure if it was your producer or booking, but it seemed like you had that cutting edge of picking the right Bill Burr before he was about to break. And yeah. you, I don't know, you had your finger on the pulse of that, man. Yes. Well, at RKO, I have to thank uh, John Curtin, who was the producer of the show, because he was a comedy uh, fanatic and, and we sort of had the same mission. And my pro my program director, Kevin Straley, who is just oh, yeah. the greatest I know, uh, Kev. RKO's PD at the time. And he's the one that hired me away from FNX, um, which was, which was again, a life-changing thing. But he always encouraged me to misbehave and have comedians on late at night and just run up the place like we owned it. And we, we did own it, which was, <laughs> I mean, as you know, like you said, um, I gave comedians a shot very early on who yeah. turned out to be some middling successes. I put Jim Gaffigan on the air sure. way before he was big. I put Eugene Merman on way before Bob's Burgers was even a thought in somebody's head. Um, I had Brendan Small way before he got the TV series um, Home Movies, uh, and and he's gone on to more things than that. I mean, oh man! And then the local guys, the the Kevin Meanies of the world. I miss him so much. Oh, he yeah. was a complete maniac and always <laughs> ready to play. Always ready to play. You know, these guys were always just. Jimmy Tingle. I oh, remember yeah. Jimmy Tingle. I remember her I remember his mom calling in one time and telling him not to use dirty words and it was just so great. You know, what a wonderful uh excuse to make a living having comedians just bust up the place. Yeah. God, what a get a paycheck <laughs> let him carry the load for a while now we're kind of uh, running out of time here but you know one last segment that we'd like to do it's called kind of the odd question uh it, it you know just really far out there i'm going to gift you an elephant and uh you cannot give it away you cannot sell it what do you do with that elephant i cannot give it away and i cannot sell it nope wow <laughs> i guess i have to ride it around and uh just make kids happy, right? <laughs> what else can you do with an elephant? <laughs> That's me. All right. That's me, an idiot on top of the elephant, just riding around town going, yippee. <laughs> <laughs> I have to have a streamer, though, or something. And, and one of those things in your mouth where you can go, <laughs> pop that out, you know? I like and, that. And I'll be happy. Everyone will laugh and I'll spread cheer, Joe. Okay, I love that. Well, one more question here, uh, Ty. This is a good one. Um, what do you think makes you uniquely Boston? Um, well, this is a fun one because I like this question a lot. Um, 
you know, when I came here, I wanted to become part of um, the street and the the air and the water and um, this the, this the whole environment. And so I really had a bunch of role models because I knew that Bostonians could be very tough on the outsider or the new person. <laughs> And so I tried to make sure I could pronounce Lemonster right. <laughs> and I spent the time doing the homework and driving around and getting to know the people. And I had as my examples the people that I thought were ultimate Bostonians who were not born here. And I looked around and I was like, okay, well, Steven Tyler was born in the Bronx and raised in Westchester. And Peter Wolf was also from the, from New York and they made it and they became Bostonians. Oh, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Maddie Siegel, I know came from my home state of New York as well. And he, nobody questions Maddie's cred here. Nobody. Cause no. he's the man. Right. And he earned it. And I was like, if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to do that. I'm going to become, cause I'm going to stay long enough and I'm going to put in the time and energy and the love to get it. And you were part of the brotherhood. I could feel it, man. Well, thanks. I finally passed the audition. <laughs> Ty, thank you so much for the time. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you finally over the Zoom face-to-face here. I thank you, Joe, and I will expect the check very soon. In fact, <laughs> most people do the invoice 30 days minus 30 minutes. So I'm looking at my watch. Check is in the mail. Oh. 